0: This Lent journey is a journey of descent, a journey where we remember the suffering of Christ, a journey where we recall Jesus's sacrificial love. This season, we recognize our brokenness, we contemplate our mortality, and we sit with our grief. This Lent journey is one where we stop and recognize the truth that life is beautiful, but also painful for all of us. Indeed, Easter is on its way, but we're not there yet because this is wilderness time. And though we walk through this wilderness time, we're not lost here as we take the hand of Christ as our guide. And though we walk through the wilderness, we are not alone here because Jesus companions and carries us along. And we walk through the wilderness, but we're not hopeless here because we see God's radiant love dawning in the distance. Indeed, God will show us the way. A way in the wilderness.
1: Well, friends, as we continue on in this worship service, a reminder that we are in a season called Lent leading up to Easter. The Lent season is a 40-day journey, not including Sundays, of remembering and reflected upon and entering into the suffering of Christ, the abandonment of Christ and the links that Jesus will go to on our behalf as we continue this sermon series that is titled "Away in the Wilderness. It's been our invitation to you to consider all the ways in which you've experienced suffering. Now, this is a topic that I'll confessionally say uh, isn't easy to talk about, to enter into, you know, we live in a culture that uh, tries to distance ourselves from suffering. We'd like to make as many choices as possible to avoid suffering. When we begin to suffer, we, we try to do everything we can to get out of it. And yet the invitation through this sermon series, throughout these worship services and in life, is an invitation that God extends to us to allow Jesus to walk with us through our wilderness through our experiences of suffering as we've gone every single week we're taking a look at you know different reasons why we might experience suffering we've talked about the suffering that comes from a loss in our life a death of a loved one a death of a dream we've we've talked about suffering that comes uh, from silence And today we're gonna take a look at the suffering that comes from the experience of being betrayed, being denied, and being abandoned. This is something we've all experienced in our life. You know, I think of uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, set to perform a wedding for a close friend of my wife's and I. And literally a week before the wedding, uh, she discovered that her fiance had betrayed her trust in very, very significant ways, and there was this decision amidst the heartache of, do we move forward with this or not? I remember this conversation, this this conversation that I had with uh, the 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 couple literally a week before the wedding. Like I said, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, "I'm sorry, but." Since we're going to be married, you just need to trust me. And he had just violated her trust. And she says, yes, but you've, you've betrayed me. How will I know that you won't do it again? And he says, well, I can't guarantee that, but you've just got to trust me. And in that moment, I saw the suffering. I saw the pain of one who, in a very profound way, was betrayed Ultimately, she made the decision not to move forward with that marriage, a significant decision to make, but that suffering was so profound. I think about people in my life who uh, I know are applying for a position, applying for a school, applying for something, or, or seeking to be in a relationship, and they've experienced the, the hard no. You're not what we're looking for. Or, you know, we're, we're just going to pass on this day. And the suffering that comes from hoping you would be chosen, hoping that you would be embraced, hoping that you would be promoted, there's a denial that it produces a deep suffering in our life. Abandonment, that awful experience of, especially when you need it most, in your time of greatest need where the people whom you have previously relied on to be there are no longer there. I had a conversation a number of years ago with somebody who uh, is very well-known in in the public arena, and they made some comments in the public arena that immediately, uh, you know, all of society just um, basically, more than criticized, basically was crucifying this individual uh, across social media. And I remember him calling me up and having a conversation, and I remember him saying, I so regret what I just said. But what is worst of all is I feel abandoned by my friends. I need them right now. I, I'm devastated by what I said. And can we just talk? I've experienced my own experiences of, of betrayal, of, of being denied, of being abandoned. I have this uh, memory of when I was in college at the University of Southern California uh, I had a long-term uh, dating relationship. It was years before I met my wonderful wife and uh, I'd been dating somebody for quite some time uh, and I discovered that they had actually cheated on me. And I'll never forget this experience. Having just found out about it the night before, I found myself uh, going through just the normal motions of that week. And that, uh, that Saturday, I was inside the LA Coliseum and I still remember this, the, the University of Southern California, my alma mater was playing in football against Notre Dame. It was one of the biggest games of the year. Nearly 100,000 people packed into that stadium. I'm in the student section and the experience that I had of feeling so alone, though I was surrounded by tens of thousands of people. It was because the person whom I wanted the love for so much had abandoned me, had betrayed me, had had essentially denied me. There's a great John Mayer song written many years ago, lonely in a crowded room. It's one of the worst experiences. It's one thing to feel isolated or abandoned or rejected or betrayed when you were by yourself. But when you experience that in relationship, experience that in community, experience that in your workplace, experience that in your family, it's devastating. And our hope is today that we would be able to learn, that we would be equipped, that we would be empowered to actually navigate those experiences, perhaps in a different way than we have in the past. You see, it's so easy without God's help to become bitter, to become paralyzed, uh, to become jaded, to be people that are unable to forgive other people, unable to, to gather the strength to move forward, or people who don't even know how to grieve. You know, some of us, we just stuff things down and we just put on a happy face, or we're so devastated. We're, we're as I've said before, we either bury it or we are buried by it. And so what I want to do today is I want to take a look at three Three experiences of Jesus, they're all found in uh, the gospel according to Matthew. Three experiences where Jesus was betrayed, where he was denied, and where he was abandoned. And the key is, is that we have to see each of these three scenes. If we only look at one, or if we only look at two, we don't get the fullness of the beauty of of the splendor, of the glory, of the majestic truth that enables us to experience Jesus walking with us through our wilderness experiences. So let's take a look at the first one. This is Jesus' experience of being betrayed. It's found in Matthew 26, begins in verse 14. Then one of the 12, the 12 apostles of Jesus, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I betray Jesus to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment on, Judas began to look for an opportunity to betray him. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's word. As we say every week, thanks be to God. All right, this is a famous betrayal, perhaps one of the most famous in all of Scripture. We might look at Judas and we might say, how could you do that? You've been following Jesus for years. You've seen miracles. You've seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. You've seen him multiply the loaves of bread and fish. You've you've heard stories and you've seen countless things of people healed, of people restored, of people given sight, of, of people able to walk, of water turned to wine. How on earth? Could you sell out Jesus? Well, Judas' betrayal was grounded in something. And it was grounded in this. That his view of Jesus primarily was one that Jesus was useful to him. And eventually he got to a point where he realized Jesus was no longer as useful as he needed. You see, remember in the flow of the narrative of Jesus's life. They've been following him for three years. They have expectations that Jesus is going to be the the Messiah who would overthrow the Roman Empire. He is now just uh, marched in triumphant into Jerusalem. And so they think that he's going to establish God's reign and God's rule on earth, that they're going to overthrow the Roman Empire, that now there's going to be this new physical kingdom that it would come at the tip of a sword and the days have now gone by. And Judas seems to be thinking, Jesus, when are you going to make your move? You marched in triumphant. I've been following you. I've been, I've been serving you. I, 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 I've been doing all these things. When are you going to do the thing that I expect you to do? And that's to overthrow the Roman Empire. And as the days go by, Jesus, he simply continues to teach. He continues to to serve, continues to do miracles. And in that moment, Judas begins to find him no longer useful. And he is willing to sell Jesus off for something that is more useful. Imagine selling off the Son of God for simply 30 pieces of silver. Now, it's very tempting to, to look at Judas and say, I would never do that. But Jesus doesn't allow us to get off the hook so quickly. Take a look at how it continues. This is verse 17. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He, Jesus said to them, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover meal. Verse 20, when it was evening, he took his place with the 12. All of them were there, including Judas. And while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. I find it so interesting that Jesus doesn't call out Judas by name. He knows that it is Judas who's going to betray him. And in that moment, he simply says in a general way, one of you will betray me. I am reminded in this moment of the continual invitation that Jesus gives us to, to turn towards God, to turn away from uh, our, our, our acts and our direction of deceit, even here At the meal, at the Passover meal, at the Lord's Supper, where we now celebrate communion now in the 21st century, Jesus was still extending an invitation to Judas to turn to him. Remember, in the Old Testament, it says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Jesus could have lit him up in front of everybody. He could have said, I knew what you said to the chief priest. You're going to sell me. He could have shamed Judas, but he didn't. He extends an invitation by speaking broadly, giving Judas an opportunity still to turn. But what's so interesting is it's not just for Judas. Jesus isn't just speaking to Judas. He's he's speaking to all the apostles, all 12 of them. And he's also speaking to all of us today. Take a look. It continues on. They respond in verse 22. By becoming greatly distressed. And they began to say to him one after another, Surely not I, Lord? Now let's pause on this for a moment. It's easy just to brush past this. I believe one of the reasons why they become so distressed is because they've actually been thinking what Judas has now put into motion. You wouldn't be distressed if it didn't hit home. Jesus says to the group, surely one of you will betray me. If your thoughts have been pure, if your motivations have been pure, if you hadn't had the thought that, gosh, when's Jesus going to make his move? I mean, the enemy is closing in on us. There's rumors that we're going to be not only taken to jail, there's rumors that we're going to be killed. There's, there's a lot on the line, there's a lot at stake. I believe the reason why they were greatly distressed is because every single one of them had thoughts of betraying Jesus. You know, it's been said that the line between good and evil is drawn directly down the center of every human heart. We have the capacity for both good and evil. And when put to the test, when put in pressurized situations, in some cases, when we are betrayed, when we are denied, when we are abandoned, it leads us into a motion where those thoughts can creep in, where we can entertain thoughts that we never dreamed that we would have ever entertained. You know, it's often been said that Forgiven people forgive people. I also believe that betrayed people often betray people, that denied people often deny people, that abandoned people often abandon people. We often reflect to the world around us that which we experience from them. Miroslav Volf, a, a phenomenal theologian, writes this in one of his books, A Spacious Heart. He says that forgiveness flounders Because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Basically, he's saying that we lack an inability to forgive. Other people, when they betray us, when they deny us, when they abandon us, because we separate ourselves and we say, I'll never be like Judas, I'll never sell Jesus out. But Jesus speaks to all the disciples, and I believe through the disciples, through scripture, to all of us today, and says, Do you simply find me useful? And that's a great question for me, for you, for all of us to reflect on. Do we come to Jesus because we simply find him useful? I mean, do we pray to him because we believe that he'll give us. What we want. Do we serve him because we believe that in our service and our obedience to him, that then we will be blessed? You see, Judas had a very transactional relationship with Jesus. I give you this, you give me that. It's a useful, transactional relationship. And what that can do in our hearts and our minds and ultimately in our actions is the moment that we find Jesus no longer useful, the moment we begin to see other people who don't love God get the promotion, Uh, the moment we experience God not answering our prayers or we continue to experience betrayal and denial and abandonment despite us being faithful, we think, despite us praying to God, we think, it is in those moments that our heart can be like Judas. And those disciples, they were distressed and they didn't make the statement, I would never do that. They asked the question, surely not I, Lord? Do you have the humility? Do I have the humility to acknowledge in some areas where I can betray Jesus, where I can slip into simply a transactional relationship with Jesus, that even if I don't act on it, that the thoughts come into my mind of Jesus. Where are you? You haven't shown up. You haven't answered. Okay, I'm going to go a different way. We might not sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but we might sell out Jesus in a variety of other modern and acceptable societal ways. There's an opportunity for us to look at Jesus to look at how he responded in the midst of his betrayal. He doesn't light Judas up. He doesn't blow him out of the water. He knows it, he acknowledges it, and he extends even in that moment an invitation for Judas to turn. But it goes on, Jesus wasn't just betrayed, he was also denied. In fact, it goes on, and it says this. In verse 31, the Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus has, has up the ante. Previously at the table, he says, there's one of you who will betray me, And now after the meal, he says, truly, I tell you, all of you will desert me. Verse 32, but after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But then Peter, this is the second scene. Peter says to him, though all will become deserters because of you, I will never desert you. In that moment, Uh, Peter has this pride, he has this ability, he has this, you know, it it is this self-confidence. Jesus, I will never, I will never desert you, though they might do it. He says that. Though all will desert you, I won't do it. Very different than Judas, but essentially the same thing. Peter doesn't just find Jesus useful. He actually looks at his own life He looks at his own integrity. He looks at his own moral record and says, actually, I find me more useful. And I know that this this is a, a big statement to make. But while Judas found Jesus useful until he wasn't, Peter actually in this moment finds Jesus useless. There is no need for strength from Jesus. There's no need for grace from Jesus. There's no need for for him to say, you know, it is a possibility. Jesus, can you pray for me? Uh, Can you give me the strength? Uh, Can you empower me? He says, I won't do that. It is a reliance on the self. And this is so subtle. But many of us, again, that line is drawn down in the center of every human heart the difference between good and evil. Some of us, we say, I would never be like Judas. But some of us, perhaps more of us, can often be like Peter. Jesus, I would never do that. And in that moment, it isn't a reliance upon Jesus to be our Lord, to be our Savior, to be our sustainer, to be our strength. It finds Jesus and all that he offers useless and puts all the eggs in our basket saying, I can do it. This is also the sin of religion that thinks that if I do, if I measure up, then God will bless me. If I avoid the bad things, then God will bless me. It's also the sin of modernity that says you are capable. You can do it in your own strength. You just got to find the strength within. You got to tap into your potential It is a subtly acceptable thing that is actually just as broken as Judas when Peter says, when society says, when religiosity says, I can handle it on my own. But Jesus speaks to Peter in such a loving way. And he says this, truly I tell you this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me Three times. Peter said to him, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Jesus confronts the brokenness in Peter's heart. He goes right after his pride, goes right after his self righteousness, goes right after the overconfidence in himself. And he says, No, no, no. Actually, tonight, you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but. Three times. Why three times? You know, it's interesting, all throughout Scripture, whenever there is something that is said three times, holy, 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 for example, what the angels say to, to the maker of heaven and earth, it is a reminder that, that God is holy in perfection, that, that God is holy in completeness. You know, if you say it once, it's one thing. You say it twice, it's, it's even more emphatic. But when you say it three times, it is utterly true. You see, if Peter denied Jesus, you know, he might be able to scratch that off to just getting distracted. Oh, that was just a blip in the the moral record of goodness that I have. If it happened twice, oh, you know, but this is a, in our modern language, a little three strikes and you're out. Jesus says, you're not going to deny me a little bit. You're going to deny me completely. Because you, Peter, to paraphrase Jesus, when you rely on yourself in your own strength, in your own righteousness, in your own overconfidence, ultimately, you're doing the same thing that that Judas does. And when it comes down to it, you will sell out for me. In fact, you can read forward in how this plays out. This is actually beginning in verse 69 of that same chapter Matthew 26. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. This is after Jesus' arrest, Peter follows behind. A servant girl came to him and said, this is the first one, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he, Peter, denied it before all of them saying, I do not know what you were talking about. Verse 71, when he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man, this, this guy right here, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. Verse 73, after a little while, while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you are also one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse. He began to get defensive. Don't we do this sometimes when backed in the corner? And he swore an oath saying, I do not know the man. And at that moment, the cock crowed. And then Peter remembered what he had already forgotten. And it was what Jesus had said to him. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The truth of what was hidden in his heart, of which his mind wouldn't acknowledge, had now spilled out into action And when confronted with the brokenness, the selfishness, the the self-righteousness, the overconfidence in the self, the pride that Peter had, when confronted with that truth, he went outside and he wept bitterly. In that moment, Judas, Peter, essentially were doing the same things to Jesus. Again, down the line of every human heart is the capacity for both good and evil. Some of us, when, when backed into a corner, when it seems like God has abandoned us, when it seems like God has denied us, when it seems like God has betrayed us, we can be like Judas or we can be like Peter. Again, Judas found Jesus useful until he wasn't. But Peter, he found Jesus in some ways useless because his moral record was more useful. Both of them Jesus invited. Jesus said, come to me, turn to me. But it wasn't just the betrayal. It wasn't just the denial. It was also an abandonment. Let's go back a little bit in Matthew 26. In verse 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. This is James and John. And he began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. He's asked Peter, he's asked James, he's asked John. I'm at the point of death. I'm in the midst of grieving. Just stay awake with me. Be here with me in my greatest time of need. There's experiences that perhaps you have in your life where you've lost a loved one, where you've lost a job, where you've lost an opportunity, you've lost a dream. There is a grief in your greatest time of need. You invite people to be with you. It is the natural part of the human condition to not want to go through that alone. We need to go through our grief in community. And in that moment, Jesus invites some of the closest people in his life to just to be present. I love this. Jesus doesn't say, can you solve the problem for me? Which is often our temptation to do so. You know, we just want to fix. Jesus says, I just want you to be with me. I want you to sit with me. I want you to pray with me. Many of us, we know the story and we know what happens, but in case you've forgotten or you don't, this is what goes on. Verse 39, going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but you, what you want. So he's already had the experience of letting one know that they would betray him, that, that all would desert him. He's invited both Peter, James, and John to, to, to sit with him and to pray with him. And now he goes to God the Father and he says, take this cup away from me. Now, we need to understand exactly what the cup was that Jesus wanted God to take away from him. You see, in the Hebrew Scriptures, there was, there was many cups that are referenced. One of them was the cup The cup of wrath was something that was described throughout the Old Testament in very vivid language as the thing that God's enemies would have to eventually drink. That the the destination, uh, the fruit, the outcome of them denying God and going their own ways ultimately would be a cup of destruction, a cup of judgment, And also throughout Scripture, there's another cup. It is the cup of salvation. Clearly, we want to drink the cup of salvation, not the cup of wrath. And here Jesus, in the garden, says, God, take this cup away from me, but thy will be done. The amazing audacity of Jesus to go before God in prayer, to communicate to God the Father And for us to get a window into that Jesus knows that to do the will of the Father is to drink the cup of wrath that God's enemies deserve. He begins to acknowledge just how massive, just how agonizing, uh, just how horrific that will be when he has to drink the cup of wrath as an enemy of God, And yet he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Let's continue on. Right after that prayer, it says in verse 40, Then he came back to the disciples and he found them sleeping. The one thing he asked, stay awake. The one thing he asked, be with me. The one thing he asked, pray with me. They fall asleep. They abandoned him. In his greatest Time of need. And he wakes them up and he says to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me just one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Second time he goes and he prays. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done Again, he came and found them sleeping again. They fall asleep again. And then he goes and he prays a third time, saying the same words. Father, remove this cup, but not my will, but your will be done. Verse 49, then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Three different times he says, stay awake. Three different times they fall asleep. Three different times he says, God, take this cup away from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Three different times he says, can you not just stay awake with me? Remember, I've already said about the the significance of three. It is to say that they have completely abandoned him, that Jesus is actually completely in distress, that Jesus completely, three times saying, God, take this cup of wrath away from me, but not my will be done, your will be done. Other gospel writers say that as they give more detail, that as Jesus prays, he begins to sweat blood. A lot of commentators have have tried to imagine, have tried to take the fullness of Scripture, have tried to to describe just what is happening in this moment. A great uh, commentator by the name of Bill Lane has said this about that moment. He says that the dreadful sorrow and anxiety then Out of which Jesus' prayer for the passing of the cup springs is not an expression of fear before a dark destiny, before something is about to happen, nor a shrinking from the prospect of just physical suffering and just physical death. It is rather the horror of the one who lives wholly for the Father, God the Father, that Jesus has come to believe and to know and to experience that for an interlude, for a season, that God the Father will abandon him as well. You see, in that moment, Jesus begins to peer into the reality that he's about to step into. A reality that isn't just Judas betraying him. A reality that isn't just that Peter would deny him. A reality that not just the disciples would abandon him, but in a reality, most of all, that God the Father would abandon him as well. Now, this is a a very difficult thing to wrap our minds around. This is something that uh, I confess is really hard to communicate. That, as we will read in a moment, that on the cross, God the Father completely and wholly abandoned God the Son. And Jesus knew that it was already beginning when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was faced with this choice that God gave before him Are you willing? To not just be betrayed, not just be denied, not just be abandoned by your friends and those closest to you, but are you willing to be abandoned by me? The one whom we have been in intimate relationship and in the Trinity, the community of one, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, an eternal relationship that has always existed in perfection, in wholeness, in beauty. God is saying, are you willing to drink from that cup because the result of that is the experience of a cosmic abandonment. Now, there's a lot of modern writers and a lot of modern theologians that, that greatly uh, downplay this theological truth that has been embraced for thousands of years. There are many modern theologians that say, no, 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 no. Uh, Jesus on the cross, he was not abandoned by God the Father. No, no, no. Uh, Jesus on the cross wasn't punished by God the Father for the sins of humanity. No, no, no. God on the cross, uh, Jesus the Christ as God on the cross, uh, he was more a, a model of obedience, a, a, uh, an example of what the brokenness of humanity can do. And out of great love for us, he was, he was willing to show us how to, to be faithful to the end. You know, some people have said that to think that God punishes Jesus on the cross is tantamount to divine child abuse. And so there's many today and more people today who are rejecting this idea that Jesus was actually abandoned by God the Father. But I need you to know, and I want to speak clearly to you, that unless we take in the truth that God the Father actually did abandon Jesus on the cross. We'll get to this in a moment. That unless we fully take that in, we will never experience the fullness of what it means to have Jesus walk with us when we are betrayed, for Jesus to walk with us when we've been denied, to walk with us when we've been abandoned. Because here's the truth. I, I've experienced betrayal. I've experienced denial. I've experienced being abandoned. Also, I am one who has been a betrayer of other people. I've betrayed people's trust. I've denied other people. I've abandoned other people in my humanness, in my brokenness. I have done that. I'm going to do it again. It's the reality of the human condition. And in an imperfect way, when I have the humility enough to not pull up Peter, But I can acknowledge that I'm capable of betrayal. I'm capable of denial. I'm capable of abandonment. When I have the humility to do that, when you have the humility to do that, you actually can relate to other people when they experience betrayal, when they experience denial, when they experience abandonment. But you can only relate to them in a partial sort of way. You can say, yes, I've experienced this. This is how I've experienced this. Though I'm not in your shoes, though I'm not in your head, though my heart is not your heart, I can relate to it. I can sympathize with it, but not completely. I can, in a partial way, in a fragmented way, in a, in a relational way, I can, I can acknowledge it. And yet there is only so far we can go To understand what somebody else's experience of being betrayed, being denied, and being abandoned was like. But Jesus is altogether different. And unless we fully comprehend, unless we fully take in the fact that Jesus actually was abandoned on the cross by God the Father, we won't fully grasp just how different Jesus actually is. And if we don't take that in, if we just think that Jesus was a model for us, a great teacher, a great leader, perhaps, yes, God in the flesh, but it wasn't God punishing him or God abandoning him because of the brokenness of humanity. If we don't fully acknowledge that, then Jesus, in our minds, never can truly understand what we're going through. And when we experience betrayal, when we experience denial, when we experience abandonment, we don't fully experience how Jesus is actually walking with us through the wilderness. And we don't turn to Jesus. We turn to other things. When we downplay what Jesus has done, perhaps formally we found him useful, but in the pressure cooker of the moment when we've experienced loss and grief and suffering, we pull Judas We sell them out. Or in some ways, we are faced with the pressure cooker of of a situation, a season, a loss, the betrayal, denial, abandonment. We, we, We pull a Peter. We rely on our own strength. We are overconfident of our ability to do things on our own. But when we take in what actually happens, beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane, all the way through the cross, when we begin to see that it wasn't just people that betrayed Jesus and denied Jesus and abandoned Jesus, but it was God the Father doing something cosmic that Jesus didn't just unknowingly fall into as a victim, but was fully aware of and chose to enter into it. It gives you a strength unlike anything else. You see, Isaiah 53 can help us understand exactly what is going on. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Speaking about Jesus, Isaiah writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he, this is Jesus, was despised and rejected by others. We've just read that. He was a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, And we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities, he has carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then it goes down in verse 10 Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, we shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Every time we betray somebody else, we betray God. Every time we deny somebody else and abandon somebody else, we deny and abandon God. As a result of that, there is a universality of sin, of brokenness, of all of us missing the mark. All of us have the capacity to be a Judas. All of of us have the capacity to be a Peter. And God, in God's holiness and righteousness, longs to be in relationship with us. And God promises that God will never betray us, never deny us, never abandon us. And yet we have betrayed, we have denied, we have abandoned. And so now there is this chasm that exists between us and God. And none of us can be perfect and never betray and never deny and never abandon. And there is this this cost, this payment as a result of all of humanity being broken. And when Jesus was willing to choose the cup that God gave him, the cup of wrath. He did it out of choice, out of love for you and for me. Because he could have found us simply useful, but eventually useless when his life was on the line. And instead of finding us useful, he found us beautiful. And he was willing to be arrested so that we would be set free. He was willing to go to the cross and on the cross for many hours, he experiences not just a physical suffering, but a spiritual suffering where he takes upon himself all the sin of all of humanity. Also on the cross, he takes upon himself, and I want you to catch this, the experience of all of our suffering. You see, I can kind of relate to you but I can't fully understand because I'm not you. Jesus is altogether different because He actually experiences all of your suffering. He took it upon Himself. He's experienced all of your betrayal, where you've been betrayed, because He took it upon Himself. He experiences all of the times in which you've been denied because He takes it upon Himself. He experiences all of the times that you've been abandoned because He takes it upon Himself. I want you just to just to begin to allow yourself, to let your imagination, your mind, to have faith and to to take in this thought that on the cross, Jesus takes upon himself the sum total of every human experience of abandonment. And he stays on the cross. Out of love for you, because he finds you beautiful because he knows that if he takes upon all of that upon himself, not only can he be a suffering servant that enters into our brokenness and says, I'm with you, truly, unlike any other human being could ever be, but he also takes the weight of sin upon himself and experiences the abandonment of the one relationship that he's had for all of eternity with God the Father because he takes upon himself the iniquities and the sin of us all. And scripture says that he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? He is experiencing in actuality the thing that we feel Is real. You see, we feel that God has abandoned us, but in actuality, God hasn't abandoned us because Jesus actually was willing to be abandoned by God the Father so that Jesus experienced the fullness of that which we deserve. Scripture says in the Nicene Creed that not only he died, but he descended into hell the complete separation of God the Father and God the Son out of love for you and me so that he could defeat death. That as he bursts forth from the tomb, as we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday and every Easter Sunday and Resurrection Sunday throughout the year, that we celebrate the fact that, that Jesus not only knows because he's experienced it, but he defeats the very thing that causes us to rely on our own strength and to know that every time we feel betrayed by God, we feel denied by God, we feel abandoned by God. In actuality, we aren't because Jesus was willing to actually experience it. You've heard me say a number of weeks ago in Psalm 13, there's this prayer that King David prays. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's so remarkable that there is only one person on the planet that an actual experience, that that's more than just a feeling, it is actual reality. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus was actually abandoned so that through faith and trust in him, you never will be. You see, God the Father and God the Son were restored and reconciled And these are cosmic things. These are mysterious things, but they were reconciled only after Jesus was willing to go through all the lengths that Jesus went to. Because had he not gone that route, our feelings of abandonment would be real because sin would still need to be dealt with. There would still be this chasm between us and God. Jesus would be just like any other human on the planet that maybe can relate to us, but no, Scripture says he's altogether different. He was tempted in every way that we've been tempted, yet was without sin. The one who wasn't worthy of being betrayed or denied or abandoned was willing to do so out of love for you. Friends, the more you look at Jesus and how he was willing out of obedience to God the Father to be betrayed, to be denied, to be abandoned by all, the more you begin to realize that he did it out of love for you. And that love can begin to melt your heart. You can begin to see that he loves Judas, that he loves Peter, later restores Peter. That you can begin to see that you are in desperate need of God's grace. You'll never pull a Peter thinking you can do it on your own. That you find Jesus more than useful. You find him beautiful because he first found you beautiful. And you can worship him like Mary Magdalene. This beautiful picture of one who pours out her life savings of oil on his feet, anointing him for burial. Seemingly a useless gesture. It didn't matter because she found him beautiful. May we be people that see how God sees us as worth dying for. And may that change how we see Jesus in response, saying, I will follow you. I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, walk with me through my pain, through my suffering. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you of the links that you were willing to go through, not just by people, but also by God the Father. We thank you that you were willing to do that out of love for us. May that change how we live. May that change how we love. May that melt our heart. May we be people who are willing to enter into other people's grief, realizing that we are fully capable of doing that ourselves. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.